I'm Jordan Hagedorn. And I'm John Kim. And this is Sneaker Salaries, a deep dive look at sneaker news and sneaker culture with insights from those that live the passion and the lifestyle of sneakers. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Sneaker Salaries. Today, we're welcoming Philip Liesa. He is best known on social media for transforming new pairs of Air Jordans to look like they're OGs from 1980s. But aside from making the custom footwear, he has a pretty interesting day-to-day so today, uh, we're hoping to find out more about what he does. So Phil, uh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So Phil, I am a huge Air Jordan 1 fan. I have over 30 pairs Jesus of OG Christ. ones. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, what what you do is something that we we love. You know, John and I have always talked about OG ones, what they mean to the culture. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit, but can we start with your backstory and just kind of an origin story of where you came from and kind of how you got to this point? Well, um... Well, yeah, my name is Phil Yessa. I'm 27. And yeah, I mean, I was always into like fashion and sneakers. Uh, growing up, I was raised in Long Island. And like a next door neighbor of mine was wearing a pair of like Nike SB Dunks while he was washing his car. I think, yeah, they were like the Tweet Highs. And I just instantly fell in love with that like shoe and the silhouette. And then I just started skating. And then I realized Nike SB had like Dunks. They had like Zooms and Zoom trays and everything. And I just fell in love with the sneaker culture, like while I started skating out on Long Island. And can you touch on that maybe as a kid, um, into sports, skating, kind of just you discovered that Nike dunk, but how did you nurture that love and how did that kind of continue to grow? Well, I mean, yeah, skating, I was always wearing dunks. And then with dunks came like the forums, you know, ISS forums, NSB, Nike Talk. And I was like the little kid back then just trolling everyone on like ISS forums and the flamethrower thread. Would you wear today? I was always on that, posting fit pics and then like fit battles. And that was just like my life growing up as a teenager. Like I would go home after school, take a fit pic with my tripod, post it on ISS forums. My mom thought I was probably like crazy. Like, why is he doing this outside? Every like same pose, same like tucked in, one, one side of the jeans like tucked in, find the tongue, like my hands, my pockets, it was like a ritual and it was just like how I grew up. And then that's how I became like a sneakerhead. Yeah. After that part, I actually like stepped back from the sneaker game because I got into photography. So I started selling shoes for camera gear because like I didn't have like a full-time job. I was still like young, but I went to like into photography. So I had to like sell my valuable stuff. I was selling like Stussy shirts, diamond shirts, all my Huff shirts. And then it was like a pair of Stussy SB Dunks. Shanghai twos, all those like Shanghai ones, all those stuff just like was enough value. If I sold enough, I would buy like a camera lens or like a camera body, or, like external flash and all that stuff. So at that point I was wearing like just vans, like skate highs, old schools, mid schools, only because they were so easily available and they were just so cheap and they still looked cool. Mm-hmm. That love of photography kind of had to let somewhere. I mean, I think just looking at your social media page, you definitely have a good eye for photography. From what point did you kind of take that love for photography and then kind of expand into what you're doing right now? Because I believe, you know, you do have a full day to day, right? Outside of yeah. the custom work that you do. So um, for college, I went to school for photography, actually. And then I was I dropped out because I got a full time job, like doing retail work at malls and like stores. So I was more in tune to that stuff. And then after I dropped like photography, I was more into cars. So it was like, a, like I had so many stages in my life. It was like sneakers, cameras, and cars. Now it's like back to cars and sneakers. 
but I bring like the photography like standpoint to my like social media stuff and like how I take photos because like it's all about what the people see and I know how to like bring that image make it look aesthetically pleasing for like other people to also like it. You mentioned cars. We mentioned sneakers. There's always this hustler mentality. You know, Mm -hmm. a lot of the guests, including John and I, we kind of hustled our way into our positions, uh, but it was always this passion. It was passion-based and love-based. Can you talk about some of your traits and maybe the traits you've seen across the board? It's just like a prototype kind of guy like us who we schooled ourselves on the forums and that was kind of our college. I mean, when it comes to sneakers 101, right? Can you talk about some of the traits you know, it is passion, it is love, but talk about the traits that continue to kind of be hungry along your path. Well, it's just like, just, just like a hobby. Like you love what you do. So then like you get into something else and then you devote your whole life into it, which I did for like all the hobbies I have. And it's, it's like, it's doing great for me, but it's also like, like you have to also pay rent. So if like, if you're selling sneakers, yeah, pay rent, selling sneakers, if you want to freelance photography, freelance, if you want to like, buy a car, fix it, flip it. That's also another way to pay rent. It's just like, I mean, at the end of the day, isn't it all about money? Oh, absolutely. I mean, this this yeah. show is called Sneaker Salaries yeah. after all. And, you know, we're all rooted in that passion. And, you know, I'm sure, I, I know I got into all the things that I'm into because I truly loved it. And it just, it just so happened that we can all like, you know, live off of it, you know. And, and for you, you know, you just sort of follow your passion based on what I'm hearing. You love sneakers and you went into photography. Like even me too, there's a time where, I just stopped buying shoes because I was trying to buy every like L lens out there, which was kind of stupid yeah. looking back because like I didn't know anything about photography. I was just really, really into it. And even like I grew up in New York and I loved car culture, but owning a car is like kind of unrealistic, especially yeah. out here in Brooklyn. But I think like back in the day too, it was like sneakers and cars went like hand in hand for yeah. some reason. Like all my friends were all sneakerheads, but also had to drive like a nice car, like a nice, a nice ricey tuner for some reason, like a Honda Civic oh. with like. It's like really low and just like slammed to the ground, but also wearing like the new Jordan 11s that just came out. And like it came hand in hand. Like we all, we're all connected in that. We have to like kind of step out like in style, you know, like yeah. I wore the shoes I wanted, but also drove that specific car that I wanted to drive. And I could always identify when I knew that, you know, someone had some extra added attention to a car or something like that. Mm-hmm. So now like we, we fast forward a little bit and now you you've gotten to a point where it's obviously like, you know, your bread and butter, you know, you've created this, uh, you know, amazing niche for yourself in the custom shoe world that we'll touch on a little bit, but tell us uh, what happened. Um, I guess after you kind of started working full-time at retail. Well, working like full-time retail, I was still, well, it was also like a creative job. I was a display artist for Urban Outfitters. So I was like making storage displays. Uh, it was basically like an in-house carpenter, just like cutting wood, making tables, fixing whatever needs to be fixed. So it was like kind of creative in a way. But like me, I was more creative and like outside of work, trying to like make my own clothes and like do sneakers and all that stuff. So it just got too much of, I'm spending too much time working for this corporate company when I want to invest more in me. And then boom, quarantine happened. And I had all the time in the world to just do whatever I wanted to do. And I think that's where like actually started blowing up for me during quarantine. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little bit? You know, we live in the the world of the internet where you can just blow up real quick yeah. based on what you're doing. You know, everybody is sitting at home and all of a sudden the work you're creating, what you're putting out to the world starts to catch on. I mean, what does that feel like when you start to see it, it all kind of unfold? Well, like during quarantine, like if you think about it, the world was like at a standstill point, no one was doing anything. They're on their phone the whole time or like getting a new hobby. And I was like doing what I wanted to do 
like before, but I couldn't because I was working full time. So I was just like, I think one of the first pairs I did was the, the high top cactus plant blazers. And then like, I think a lot of like sneaker blogs, we posted it and then it blew up. And then I started doing like clothes, like one of one patchwork stuff to mimic like the patchwork I did on the cactus plants. And then I did it again to like the, the union fours I made. And then it just like started like getting more followers and getting more like, like seen by like the public eye. And it just like it blew my mind. I'm like, I gotta keep going, kind of doing this because there's nothing else to do at this point. I'm just literally just in my house, wake up, drink some coffee, cut up a shirt, cut up a pair of pants, stitch it together, and then just make something unique and then find a way to make it look nice on Instagram by like taking photos of the white background or like teasing it, making it like the hype of like, oh, I'm gonna drop this one sweatshirt, be ready, like be on the lookout for that, you know. Well, and, and how did you pull from maybe the early days of seeing the, you know, those outfit threads on Nike Talk or ISS? Well, that's always like, you always have to have a good fit, right? I mean, I'm always like, I need a good fit. And then seeing everyone on like ISS forums with, they're always wearing the same exact stuff. They're always wearing like a pair of nudie jeans or like with uh, like Chukka Vans with like a double tap shirt. And like, it was just like everyone had their own little category but like I always wanted to have like that one of one stuff that no one else had and then post a fit pic and be like, oh, we're gonna get that. It's like you can't because I made it. So it just like felt good, you know. So I think like if you're looking back to all the things that you're obsessing about when you're younger, you know, sneakers and photography, those all things kind of lined up because you know, all that contributes to your success. I think not only is like the execution of the actual work you do with the shoes really good, but your photography is on point. Even there's like a timing aspect to it, right? So yeah. all those things kind of contribute to like kind of where you at right now. So if we're like looking back at like where I feel like the the sneaker community as like a whole really started to pay attention to your work was, I guess when the Union LA's first dropped, that was what two years ago, right? And that mm -hmm. kind of like re ushered in the the whole vintage look being in. Yeah, and so can we talk a little bit about, I guess, how you actually make them look the way they do? Because, you know, you're definitely part of a, I guess, a new wave of sneaker customizers who mm. just go beyond painting shoes to look a certain colorway and you know, stuff like Dominic does, you know, shoe surgeon where he like, you know, recrafts shoes with like high yeah. end like leathers. Now it's like this new category where it's, you're kind of almost doing the opposite where you're taking a brand new pair of shoes and making them look kind of old. So can you talk a, yeah. little, a little bit about the whole process and how you maybe trialed and narrowed your way through it well i have like a pair of 85 chicago ones and like i wore them before like multiple times and they were just so uncomfortable like the midsoles were like turned to like plastic the collars were cracked so it was just like crumbling and everything and like the leather was stiff so it just wasn't comfortable so i just like i said like fuck it let me just try to do it on a retro pair and then try to copy the same characteristics as like the 85 it was a lot of trial errors, especially like the cracked collars because like i I don't think I'll ever show that process because it's like I've done it to so many pairs and fucked up so many other like shoes of mine. And I just think that's the biggest like, oh, like you tell it's filthy because it's has like one of the best cracked collars in my opinion, you know, mm -hmm. than like others. And so what do you think draws people to the Air Jordan 1? It's obviously an iconic sneaker. It's a sneaker that not many people have an OG from 85. So when you started doing that work, obviously that was the appeal to be able to get your hands on something that, I mean, right now these OG ones are going for thousands of yeah. dollars, right? And so for you to be able to do that work, what do you think it is that draws people to your work? Well, I think it's just the fact that they could, it's easily obtainable. Like like you said, like 85 ones, like thousands of dollars. 
But for like people like myself and like the other customizers that make shoes vintage, you can easily hit up like a, a customizer, like, hey, I have a pair of like 2017 Royals or whatever. Can you make the vintage for me? And you just pay like an amount and boom, you have it just like that. You're not going to pay like three racks for a pair of neutral gray for the ones when they're, they just get like, they're about to drop and just pay a customizer X amount of money and it could be yours. And also it's, I think it's just a silhouette of the Jordan one that just makes it so like timeless. I mean, you think about it, what has the world come to when, I mean, everybody wants retro sneakers, but now people want retro sneakers to look like they're beat OGs. I mean, you've been at the forefront of that. I mean, what's that been like and kind of what, what would you think if you saw your work on the forums when you were younger? Oh, I would definitely like bash myself on that stuff. Like, look at this guy. He's making old shoes, like new shoes look old. Just wear it, bro. But like, then again, you see it everywhere. Like people wear distressed jeans all the time. People wear like a distressed trucker jacket all the time, a distressed hat. Like people like wearing car pants that already have holes in it, have fades. But what's the difference with like shoes? I just think people aren't, people just don't get it yet. But also people don't have to get it because you like what you like, you know? I'm not going to force feed people, hey, take this shoe and fucking love it. Just like, if you like it, like it. If not, that's it. You don't have to like be mean, like rude about it, you know? I think that's like the really, that's a perfect answer to a question that I had because, you know, while there are a lot of people who love the, the type of work that's going on, that because, you know, you're not the only one that, you know, makes the vintage customs, I guess you could say. Um, there are a lot of like OG purists of sneakers who just kind of like roll their eyes at this whole move and saying, oh, yeah. if you want them to look vintage, just wear them. But, you know, it's just, sometimes it's kind of hard to achieve that yeah then again like if you're a sneakerhead you have like over 40 pairs of sneakers if you want that look you have to wear this sneaker every single day for like three four or five years but like you're a sneakerhead you're not going to do that that's like impossible you got to wear them for 35 years if i want to shoot to look like this i would have to wear it for 35 years yeah straight like it's like wearing a pair of denim and you want good fades you have to wear Mm -hmm. constantly for like two years to get the good fades you want but then people don't want to do that you know so it's people like me just make it like makes it quicker. It's pretty interesting, like what the reception has been because I think like in 2010 or 2011 when Jordan Brand bought, brought back the AJKOs, they originally had like a pre-yellow yeah. kind of midsole to it. And when it first came out, either in the forums and when I remember uh, myself and Aaron Kr, who was formerly of the Sneaker News team, we were about, we we're at the Nike headquarters and they showed us some product. And they're like, yo, the AJKOs, the sky highs are coming back, et cetera, et cetera. And they showed us the AJKO and it had this pre-yellow thing. Now, like that kind of style might fly. But like 10 years ago, we're both looking at each other like, like what the like, hell? What the <laughs> fuck is this? You yeah. Know? And I remember I remember getting this. Even shoot. had like the dust on the bottom of the red, like the midsole. Top. Yeah. So it's crazy. Like, I guess maybe, you know, Jordan brand was a little ahead of their times, maybe because they thought, okay, if we're going to bring it back, kind of make it look like a was brought out of like a dead stock uh, basement or whatever. But I remember when yeah. I got that pair, cause I really liked the KO. It's still one of my favorites. The first thing I did was I asked my girlfriend at the time, I was like, yo, I need your nail polish. Mover. <laughs> so I got her nail polish mover. I was just scrubbing it and they look, yeah. they still look really clean. I still wear them, not regularly, but they're still like kind of in my rotation. But were, were you the fan of the, um, cause they had the, they had two different types of midsole, didn't they? There was the, the Jordan one midsole and the, the 1.5 or whatever. No, it was, was it? I mean, there was one with like a Vandal outsole and like. The yeah, the Vandal. Yeah, there you go. The Vandal yeah, outsole. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I just, I, for me, I'm like the purest type where I just want things the way it intended. And then if they're going to get a little like uh, creative, then kind of do it in another way. But I just remember right. getting the shoes and then going 
ass tone right at it. And not not long after that, Nike brought back the dunks. You know, they brought back the Michigan lows, the Ultraman lows. And this is when dunk popularity was at an all-time low. Like it was probably the low point of the dunk. And the only people who are paying attention to the dunk were the people who really loved that shoe. And for Nike to bring it out with like, they like really caked on that yellow stuff, whatever it was. You know, I'm not an expert on that kind of stuff. I remember looking at it. I was like, man, this is like the absolute lowest of low points. And who knows now? It might, it might, Nike should, Nike and Jordan should bring it out again. They might, they might have a hit on their hands, you know? Who knows, I mean, right? it's trending, so they probably would. I wouldn't be surprised. Oh, absolutely. Seems that Jordan brand always misses by a year or two, you know, and we kind of look back and it's either super dope or we look back and it's just horrible. But uh, you got to give them credit for kind of putting certain things out there and, uh, oh yeah, they're, I, it's so crazy. They're still trying to find their taste, which is nuts. I mean, they're a billion dollar company. Yeah. So can can you touch on your taste a little bit? I know you talked about uh, if people like it, they like it. If not, you know, keep it moving. Uh, I actually took two years of Japanese. Uh, I'm very interested in Japanese culture. Uh, can you talk about some of your influence and and some of those ties? Oh yeah, like the whole patchwork borrow sashiko vibe. Like I love that on like all the clothes I wear. I mean, even like some of the shoes I do, I had like patchwork to it, like the Jordan Poison just did. I did patchwork. And just like the whole vibe of something doesn't have to be like, it could be imperfect, but still look perfect in the viewer's eye, which is what I see like when I look at distressed sneakers or like a distressed pair of pants or just anything that's just like not perfect. Even like furniture, like if there's a crack in the wood, it still looks good to me because that crack gives a character, you know? Yeah. And I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, yeah. you know, and, and there is something about sneakers and how they say a lot about the person wearing them, you know? So what does your work and, and kind of your style say about you? Um, I'm more of just like wearing distressed, like vintage stuff. I mean, right now I'm wearing just hiking boots because it's snowing out here and I don't want my toes to get like soaked, but yeah, it's mostly just like stuff I used to wear in like in the past, like all the stuff I sold back then as a sneakerhead. I rebought now that I have like a full-time job, but oh, yeah. I also bought it for like resale value, which is crazy because a young Phil would be like, you're dumb for buying that for that much money when you had it and sold it for like less. But I've just been buying back all the SBs that I had before. And I think that's just where my style is now. Also just very Japanese like influence. So what are your, what are your top three grails of all time? That I own, or do you have them or not? Um, let's let's go with top three that you own that you went back and got. Um, definitely Shanghai Twos, uh, Hulks, and White Melvins. Top oh, the three. Hulks are super super underrated. Yeah. Designed yeah. by Todd Jordan, one of one of good my, one of my good friends over at the Nike SB team. Melvins mm-hmm. don't really get enough love either, you know. Yeah, they're um, very underrated, especially the. Yeah. I just think when I had the White Melvins before, it was like the era of like I was going to like high school and like. The girls would flirt with you by stepping on your shoes. Mm-hmm. And like these are white melons. Like, it was like white canvas. If you step on them, like that dirt's not coming off. Oh, so I was sure. just getting like really upset. Like they were like trying to step on my shoes and like in a flirty way. I'm like, no, stop doing that because you're messing up my precious white yeah. melons. And like I'm taking like a limb roller to them, like trying to tape it out, like get it like the, the dirt off the tape. It was like it was, it was bad. I have a funny ass story about the white melvins because um a friend of mine, he was studying abroad in Sydney. He was one of my closest friends. I was a best man at his wedding last year. and Sorry, two years ago. Holy shit, two years ago. And I told him, I was like, yo, Australia is like the spot where you can, where they have mad boutiques. You know, this is when Sneaker Freaker was like the most like, you know, esteemed establishment out there. And I told him, yo, you got to hit up these shops. And I can't even remember the name. And then he goes there 
sends me some photos through emails, takes photos. He's like, yeah, they have, a, and he's not a sneakerhead by any means. Like he wear, he wears like, you know, boat shoes. And he yeah. sends me a photo of the Melvins. He's like, yeah, they have these in like all, like a whole bunch of sizes. I guess SP wasn't really like hitting in that area or whatever. And I told him, I was like, yo, I need as many of those as possible. He ended up getting me a pair and I still have them somewhere in my house. But, um, but yeah, I think like we're all like, we can all agree that, you know, we at one point had to sell some of our shoes because we had to pay rent or pay whatever. Yeah. And now we're like going back to buying some of that stuff. You know, obviously SB was, you know, sadly, like I sold a lot of my SBs when like, the interest in those were pretty low, you know, right? It was just a few years ago where no one cared about it. And I guess yeah. you could call it the the Travis Scott effect or whatever you want to call yeah, it. It just real. made everyone like still really wants it, I guess, you know. But um, uh, how about, you know, going back to Jordan's question, what are three grails that you don't own? Um, As far as dunks, it would be, I mean, the Iron Maiden highs for some reason. I just love it. The invisible swoosh on that is just like crazy to me. And uh, Lucky Seven Highs, and probably like the Parises. Those probably top three SBs that I wish I had, but would probably never own. So those are just your three top three period, or I'm talking like yeah, I think top three period, yeah, because like wow, like before, like back, like during my ISS days, I would never, I would was not a big Jordan fan. I only mm. had like two pairs. It was like the White Cement Threes and a pair of OG like '94 Powder Tens, only because it was the year I was born. I'm like oh '94, I'm '94. I'll just buy it just to like have it. But I wasn't really a big Jordan fan back in the day until like just recently. Cause like that's like the the, the bread and butter of your your sneaker business has right right now. Like everyone yeah. wants like these custom Jordans. Yeah. Can you talk about just Jordan culture in general has evolved a lot? Can you kind of talk about the process of when people started hitting you up? Did you even know how much to charge? Were you just screwing around with it? Like that obviously has to snowball to a point yeah. where you're like bro i can charge for this and like holy shit i can charge a little little something for right. this. right so when i when i first posted the photo of the distress jordan one of the first few people who reposted it was hidden and then after that it just like snowballed to all these increase my dms just started like filling up and then i'm like i can actually make money off this and i just made like five open slots and it was just filled like so quick and i charged so little because right now i like it's double the price like I try to keep a good clientele. So like, cause you know, it's all about the hype. People want what they can't have. So I make sure like I have a high clientele so other people can see it. And like 90% of the time I see my DMs and like, I'm not going to answer because it's not worth my time to do. Cause it, it, it takes so long to do them. But I will say mm-hmm. the first time I did, I sold a pair. It was for 275 just for the, the process. And now it's almost like double that. To give you like a range. I mean, it's great that you're able to, you know, truly monetize off this skill. But as you get better and better at what you do and you charge more, you're really making exponentially more, right? Yeah. Also that and just like I was talking to like another customizer like before and he said he had so many pairs of shoes to do, he couldn't keep up with like trends because he had to do like certain stuff that was a trend back, like back in the day. And now like this whole vintage thing is a new trend. And there's customers flooding him about it but he still can't get to it because he has all these other shoes to do. So I, that's why I stay away from like doing bulk unless I know it's a good client. Like I just did a bulk pair for Japan, I think like 28 pairs. And that took me so long. And I was like such in like, I was so like sad and mad about like to, at myself. Cause I knew I told myself I was never going to do this, but I want to do other projects, but I can't do those other projects until I finish this. And then by the time this is done, I might not even want to do that project anymore. 
so it's like trying to keep yourself in the creative freedom but not like lost in customers like demands of doing what they want you know and there's something to be said about that right like kind of choking on the demand yeah it's it's really interesting because the reason you got into this is because you love it and because you enjoy the process yeah and because you wanted to, to make dope shit and then you turn around and it's like Oh wait! Be careful what you wish for yeah, because exactly. now I have all this demand. So, yeah. how do you uh, how do you mentally kind of prepare for that moving forward? Then, how does that shape and change the way you're going to do business? I'm only just like, I'll probably do bulk again for the same client, only because he's like I trust him. He's a good friend of mine, and the shoes are going to like people that have like recognition. But I think moving forward, I probably I want to keep just like probably one client a month or like one client every two months, just because I have other projects I want to do and just like. I know this is just a trend and it's going to fade away. And I want to be known as the guy that only does vintage sneakers. Cause when that's done, then they're like, Oh, that's it for filthy. Cause that's all he did. So I mm, want to like sure. branch out to like, I was like, I did clothes before. So I want to do clothes again. Cause that's always going to be timeless, you know? So can you talk about that? What's next and, and kind of what that looks like? Can you give us any kind of preview or any insight into that? Well, see, the thing was like, if I do want to have like one client a month, that's not going to pay rent. And like having like a brand and having clothes to to make and sell, you have to have the money to make then sell. So my like what I think about this whole process is collabs. Doing collabs with brands that have the money, that know your work and want like your work to work with them, you know? So like I'm just trying to reach out to like brands to collab and all these other things. So like cause they're like billion dollar companies, companies that have money to spend. And like, they want the work, you know, so it's give them the work, get the bag and then start on my own brand like that, you know? So what would the two dream collabs be for you? Uh, definitely Nike and probably. Oh, what shoe though? What shoe? Oh, there's so many like good silhouettes. Cause like I, I, I would do a Jordan one, but then I wouldn't, I would do a blazer, but then I wouldn't, I would do a trainer one, but I don't know Ooh. what that would look like yet. Cause trainer, I love the trainer ones. Like the whole, like toe strap and everything and like the mid very unexpected yeah 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 that'd be sick though yeah because also trainer ones like i had a like i fell in love with them like the bamboos the like day to dead trainers they're all so sick but now you don't see them anymore so those need to make a comeback how about the second brand uh well it doesn't be capital but i don't think capital does collabs like that oh yeah they're super japanese when it comes to things I mean, yeah they are a japanese brand but you yeah. know what i mean yeah but yeah i mean looking at my closet like, I don't really, you know, right now, the only thing comes to mind is, you know, just like Nike or like Carhartt with, mm-hmm. just because I wear a lot of Carhartt. Like, I want to, I want to keep it true to myself, you know, something I would wear. Carhartt, Nike, if you're listening, man. Carhartt or Nike. <laughs> Yo, we out here, If you're baby. listening, hit, hit, up, hit up Filthy. I got his phone number. 516. No, I'm So, I love it. So, Phil, um, you know, people listening here are trying to kind of make it, trying to figure out how to glean some advice on how to make it, how to, how to maybe make some money in the sneaker world or just in culture in general. Right. I mean, we're all very lucky to make money on what we love to do. Um, and there's a lot of things that happen for you to get to this point. Right. So is there any advice you could give for those listening as to, you know, how to carry yourself along the way or, or how to overcome adversity or anything like that in your, you know, on your journey? Is there anything you can share? Uh, yeah, just keep on grinding. And like, if you love it, then do it. And there's always an audience for everything. Just find your niche and there's someone that's going to buy it. And then it's going to trickle down to a bigger audience and just keep on doing you. But I will say um, getting press is also helps 
like getting written about with like doing even a podcast like this or like being written about by like high snob or complex or high beast what i don't really tell people was during quarantine i think high snob had like the weekly staff stay-at-home fits and i was up like all night like finding everyone that i could just like email and like contact like hey write about me hey write about me hey write about me and then like pieces like fell, like fell together and boom they just like dropped the article about me which was sick and then complex did the same thing and then now i'm like doing a podcast with sneakers like salary now, now, now you really made it now you really yeah, made no. it like mom if you're watching this <laughs> <laughs> oh but dude you, you're your you're your i mean just touch on that real quick you're basically your own pr agency that's what pr agencies yeah, do you yeah know, they're like, out there trying to secure media yeah yeah even like my whole like all before like dms it was just like abc news mm. like all these like big like news brands it's like talk about the drs they did for arsham because like i knew that would be like a big thing mm-hmm. in like news that people want to hear like regular people but it guess it never happened so well how did how did that connection happen though how'd you get connected with daniel for that well the thing with uh, the high snob article dropped mm. and then gian he made the reference between how i'm a customizer that makes new sneakers look old how arsham does that with his mm-hmm. like sculptures and then he read it and then he saw that like we were following the same people he followed me i followed there him back go. and then he dm me like hey i want to get a pair done and then boom it's set off like that so basically just go. like being being somewhere at the right time well there's something about putting yourself in that position though you know i think something when we look back to the the forums there was this element of discovery you know we were learning about kicks magazine we were learning about soul collector we were learning about you know all these you know, different guys that were posting their fits and you're seeing people all over the country, you know, that really bridged the gap to where now forums have been replaced by Instagram, right? you know, and, and so people are finding out about things, uh, on the web, you know, and for you to do your own PR, but then also to actually have credibility when people stumble on you, right? That's the biggest thing. I mean, everybody can get 15 minutes of fame, but can you sustain it? Can you build partnerships, uh, building relationships and kind of breaking down those barriers and being, of service, you know, being like, yo, I would love to do that. Right. Being willing and able and, and kind of proactive is, is a, in and of itself, I think a great piece of advice. Right. And I think you're proof of that. And, and I think that's an important, an important trait to have what you do have. Yeah. Just like put yourself into it. And it's like, if you like it, if you like it, if you don't take a step back and just really think of what you want to do, you know, but right now I'm, I'm loving what I'm doing and just hoping for the best in the future for myself. That's great. Well, and I think, I do think you attract what you post, right? So when you're posting this stuff, it's not like you're, I mean, you were doing it for yourself to show your taste and your style, but you had to have known, I mean, the universe kind of listened that you would, you want to do this more. Yeah. And so it is really cool that your, your work can be seen by the world. And I do think the future is bright, man. I think there's a lot of great things on the horizon. And I do think it's awesome. You're coming out. Uh, we're very proud to give you a voice to be able to show your work and, and, uh, we wish you the best for sure. Thank you. Yeah. That's really appreciate this like opportunity. First podcast crossed off the list, baby. Let's do this. <laughs> there you go, man. There you go. Yeah. But yeah. Just like Jordan said, you know, we're, we're, we're a fan of your work. You know, I'll be first to admit that I was at, I'm on the purest side of things where it's like, if you want beat shoes to just wear them, but you know, you bring up a great point. There's distressed jeans, there's distressed hats. So there's, you know, there's someone going to hate on something. That means you're doing yeah. something right. You know, and I, I really genuinely like uh, your work. And I know that it's just only part of what you do. You have this whole other bunch of plans. So, you know, we're, we're excited to see where it goes. So I appreciate you coming on, man. I know it's not usually your thing, but we're definitely glad to uh, catch up. Yeah. Thank you. 
So that's it for this week's episode of Sneaker Salaries. But let's keep the conversation going online on our social media channels. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sneaker Salaries and hit us with a DM or a tweet. You can follow me personally on Instagram at John B-E-E-J Kim. And you can follow me on Instagram at Jordan Hagedorn. We'd love to hear your feedback. And if there's a topic you want us to tackle or a guest you want us to have on, you can reach out to us at sneakersalariespod at gmail.com. If you like the episode, feel free to share it with your friends and help spread the word. And please show us some love by leaving a five-star rating and positive review so we can grow this podcast. Sneaker Salaries is a sneakernews.com and 137 p.m. partnership and a Gallery Media Group original production.